0: Welcome to Mavericks of Senior Living. We're tired of the status quo and the age-old thinking of this is how it's always been done, so it must be working.
1: Come embark with us on this journey as we challenge today's thinking of how we age. We are going to challenge the issues with curiosity to foster ingenuity in senior living. We are your hosts. I'm Francis.
0: And I'm Catherine. If you're a forward thinker in long-term care, a caregiver, provider, or family member of a senior, you're in the right place.
1: We interview experts, innovators, and people willing to shake things up for the betterment of our older adults with the intent of creating change.
0: Want more inspiration? Subscribe to our show and check out more episodes on our website, mavericksofseniorliving.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, I'm going to be interviewing our co-podcaster, Francis Legasse, CEO of Assured Assisted Living. So let's kick it off, let's get going here. What is it that you wanna challenge today, Francis?
1: So I wanna challenge our thoughts on how we work with those that have any type of cognitive impairment, whether it be mild, all the way up to more your advanced dementia, Alzheimer's. I really wanna try to peel back that stigma that we have about those living with dementia. Because I think it's really important we're seeing more people that have that diagnosis, yet we don't always seem to be welcoming them into the normal world.
0: That's great. That's a really great topic. I have experience with that with my mother who recently passed. And so many people – are dealing with it either in their own families or maybe their friends, families, people who are close to them. So I love that topic. So before you dive into that, tell us a little bit about who you are and your background and what brings you to this point where you want to challenge this.
1: Well, thanks, Kathy. And kind of it all started, you know, with the big desire to do something more I have a physics degree and some health sciences with that, and I've been more of that engineering kind of problem-solving approach to just looking at things outside the box. And it really started hitting me when I saw my grandparents age. That was really my first experience of seeing the aging process. I had great grandparents, but wasn't as close to them as I was with my my grandparents. And it was seeing my, grand, my paternal grandfather get diagnosed with Parkinson's, and then my mat- my, sorry, my paternal grandfather getting diagnosed with Parkinson's, my maternal grandfather getting diagnosed with dementia, and just seeing just the whole aging process and how that really changes when you get a diagnosis that you can't cure. Because I think we're really used to being, oh, here, take two pills for that cough, and you'll be better in the morning. So true. And we didn't so have that with him. And that was, I think, the first setting to me, like, oh, what do we do with people that can live a while yet we can't really cure what they have. And I was yeah. about mid twenties when that happened. So mid twenties is when, when I kind of first got exposed to that.
0: You raise a good point. We can't fix it. And we're right. used to being able to fix it. Take some <laughs> cold medicine, take, yeah. take an aspirin for your headache. We can't fix this one. Right. And, and hopefully we'll have a, uh, have a woman, um, in a future podcast, who talked about the idea of our lifespan versus our health span. Oh. So our life span is is increasing, as we all know. Right. But our health span is not.
1: Interesting. So
0: what will we do with huh. that? And that goes along with what you're saying, that we've heard that if you live long enough, you're likely going to have dementia. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with that so your your grandparents are the inspiration that spurred you into what you're doing. so tell us more about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so they we started uh, a non-medical or, or companion care service back in 2009 2010 where it was really important to have a caregiver for each each client in their house so that client really that really taught us the importance of that one-on-one care because I think if any everybody can afford it We wanna stay at home as long as possible uh, and hopefully bring services in, but obviously there might come a financial tipping point where spending 15, 20,000 for 24 seven in-home care doesn't work. So what's next? And that really jumped us into this idea of making a residential feel to an assisted living. And that's where we started back in 2013 with building, excuse me, I'd say a ranch style home that we could provide high level care for those living with dementia. And that was really the first idea we had of taking our home care and putting it into a more group setting while focusing on that individual care. And that has done really well for us. We're now up to 10 locations where we provide care for anywhere from eight to 12 residents with about you know, two to three direct care staff. So we have about a one to four, one to five ratio, which for me, that makes me feel good because I feel we're getting close to that one-on-one care.
0: Yeah, and is that really a kind of a sweet spot? I, I see it range in the industry, um, but Some, I feel like the, the smaller ratios are, are making a bigger impact.
1: I think we're able to be more proactive in the care. And I think if we begin to look at how do you be proactive in what's going on, getting ahead of some of the care needs, not being reactive, you need more oversight, more human oversight. I do think down the road we might be able to augment some predictive technologies, whether that's AI or sensors, to help you know even further be more predictive, but I still think you need that human element. So I definitely know that we're on, uh, our staffing ratio of one to four in some of our locations is definitely the lowest I've heard of in Colorado. Um, I know a lot of places are like one to ten, especially the bigger boxes. But I care is too important to me, and that's what I, I feel is we have to focus more on the care, not so much that big, beautiful building. And don't get me wrong, you need a nice place to live, but you need a high, high quality of care as you age. And that's what you deserve too.
0: Yeah, yeah, really important point. And so when you think about the ratio that you have, um, how does that play into our managing, challenging the stigma around dementia?
1: I think it helps because I think we're able to, to divide and conquer if we're having a resident. That's maybe a little more challenging. We can actually have one caregiver spend more one-on-one time with them. And a lot of times they're having a challenging situation because they have an unmet need. They might just need someone to talk to, to, uh, to, to show compassion or empathy for their morning. They might need someone to go with a walk for them while they have a cup of coffee. They might need to have that sense where they have freedom, with oversight from our staff and so that sometimes means more one-on-one or one-on-two care so we need to be able to divide and conquer and by having a lower staffing ratio we can do some of those things we don't require a private sitter to come in and do that our staff is trained to do that stuff
0: that's that's really great you make a really good point about the behavioral issues that might be harder to catch. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that I would challenge, and we'll challenge that maybe in, in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but might be harder to deal with if yes. you if you have a higher ratio. Yeah. So the lower ratio allows you to work with them more one-on-one, which mm-hmm. helps them not feel so different, not feel so lost, perhaps. Is that yes. what I'm hearing?
1: Absolutely. They, they feel more of a person because their needs are being met. And they're able to express them. They're not waiting to express them. You know, we're able to see what they're looking for or needing and wanting and going over there and actually engaging with them at that time. They're not having to push a call button and wait 10 minutes or 15 or 20 or 30. They're able to express that need very quickly and hopefully get a a positive outcome in in what they're looking for. Because it could be as simple as, hey, I, I can't figure out where the coffee is and I just want more coffee. Or, hey, I want to go sit on the front porch. Can you point me to where it is? It could be something as simple as that. And that's all we're meeting is just that simple need.
0: So you you said a word, the unmet need. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because so many behavioral issues from children through adolescence to, to our older age so many behavior issue, behavioral issues are rooted in an unmet need. And sometimes we don't know what our need is. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for us to express it. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. If they're not able to verbally express, for mm-hmm. example, my mom was mute the last two years of her life. How do you manage that?
1: So you can, I believe that we can try a few different ways because I, I want to, one, obviously begin to know who they are as a person, right? That really helps just knowing their background. And then the next is how do we empower them to tell us in whatever way they can communicate. And so if they're nonverbal, I think it's really important to use flashcards. If they're able to write maybe a simple notepad that you can write a question or, or ask a question to them and they can write the answer or a magnetic board that they can move an item over a yes or no, or, you know, You have five questions that, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Are you in pain? And you can have a simple yes and no token that they can put over whatever side it is. So I'm really big into empowering those that are living with dementia and not taking things away, but substituting for them.
0: I wish I had known that with my mom. I would have put together a magnetic board Mm -hmm. and a heartbeat. I, I think that's a brilliant way of managing that really great.
1: And I think that's going to be kind of like what you're seeing with some of the adapt uh, adaptions that we've made with, you know, we have the ADA now where, you know, you have to have ramps and accessibility stuff. I think society, we need to start adapting a de- true dementia friendly environment. What does that really mean? And I think we have these supposed dementia friendly cities, but I don't think anybody truly knows what a dementia friendly city really is. Because to me, dementia-friendly would be we could have someone with dementia walk freely out their front door and they would be safe. That, to me, is dementia-friendly.
0: And how would you do that? So, so that's what I was going to ask you. What does it mean to <laughs> okay. you? And how how would you do that? Because this is part of removing the stigma too, right? Yeah. Because uh, stigma is uh, yeah. not only internal for them,
1: Right. Uh, but it's yeah. also what does the world see? Because I – wow, that, that – um that's a tough question. And the reason I say that is because I'm thinking of spouses. You almost, and I don't mean this in any negative, but you almost imprison the spouse that might be sound of mind and able to do things because they're afraid to take out the other spouse that's living with dementia. And I think that's sad that all of a sudden we've broken this 40 or 50 year marriage that used to maybe go to dinner every Friday night. And now the one spouse is afraid to do that because they're worried if my husband just eats for 10 minutes and walks around in circles, are people going to look at me like I'm weird? That's what we have to break. And so to me, it's an acceptance of us as a society of being okay with some of the challenging situations or the ways that those living with dementia respond in certain situations. And I think it's on it's an education piece of just those that don't have dementia. I think it's a ed- huge education piece for first responders, for medical providers, yeah, um, for even uh, restauranteurs, restauranteurs um, your wait staff, especially, you know, to know that, you know, if they're fiddling or they're being really quiet and not making eye contact with you might not be because they're mad at you. It's just, they're not comfortable in that environment. Or
0: perhaps it's part of their dementia. Exactly. When you talk about the education, how do you educate the family on these things and help them feel okay about, it's all right to go out and and Mm -hmm. take your spouse out. And if people look at you, how do you respond? What do you do? How do you manage that?
1: That's a fantastic question. And I think it's one that's, it's it's tough to it's easy I think for us to answer because we're seeing it more often we're used to working in it. I think what you have to do with the spouses and the families, especially maybe kids and grandkids, is bring the group together. Because the minute your loved ones diagnosed with dementia, you need a team around you. You can't be by yourself. And if you try to do it by yourself, that's where you're going to get your burnout that's where you're going to lose that identity of husband and wife or mom and daughter or dad and son or mom and son. You're going to begin to make this a professional caregiving role for you, which I'm guessing a lot of families, they want to make sure mom, dad, husband, wife's okay, but they don't want, they want that emotional and loving connection between their parents or their spouse. And so I'd bring the group together and just talk about it. Let them voice their concerns, their frustration. Let them go through the stages of grief because you have to grieve. Every stage, you have to go through your grieving stages because they are who they are. They're different and they're going to be different the next day. And it's okay. That's what I would say is let's get together as a big family and talk about it.
0: One of the things that I think about when it comes to the stages of grieving and the family and understanding how to process through this is something I don't understand is that many of these assisted living facilities do not have a counselor that either rounds or is on staff, especially the larger ones, right? And it's not just the residents, but also perhaps family meetings. And that's something maybe we talk about in a future podcast to challenge where does mental health fall in all of this, emotional health. Yeah. Um, Because I think with some of that, my father would have been able to more easily see this is just part of it and it's okay to take your mom out to the restaurant and give him some tools and techniques for how to handle it if he feels people are staring. That is that's generational, right?
1: That is a no, I think that's a brilliant suggestion and idea though that we definitely need to dive into more because we as Americans, I feel, want to keep things hidden when things aren't going as normal as they should. And so I believe that your idea of a a social worker or family counselor or whatever title you want to call them is a brilliant suggestion because I think support groups carry a negative negative stigma with them at times and i think this needs to be more dialed into that particular person and their family and so i think you might be on to something else there about that because i think that goes back to what we've talked about with with what you're doing here with the serenity Engage is that's an engagement piece you're engaging a mental health aspect for the dependents or the loved ones of the resident who's living with dementia. And so not only are you going to be, have a better engagement with them, they're probably going to have a better engagement with their loved one because they're healthier mentally. And so I think that's a critical element is, is improving the overall experience for the family. And so I do think that's something to look into is, is counselors, not so much support groups, but actually counselors. So I think that's a brilliant idea that we definitely need to dive deeper into.
0: Well, And I think it's aligned with the stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we don't want to talk about those emotional issues. We don't want to be vulnerable. I'm a, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. And, mm-hmm. uh, but to try to teach that to a 79-year-old man <laughs> might be a little bit difficult because of the era in which he was raised. And, and uh, I bet
1: coming from his daughter probably doesn't help as much either, though, too. Good point. Because <laughs> <Good laughs> I can see, you know, I think he'll they'll have the respect – um, like I, I could see it be tougher to try to, especially, my, I mean, I have a good, great relationship with my parents, but I could see if they get a little older and more set in their ways, are they really going to want to listen to their son who tells them how to do something? Yeah. But,
0: well, and there's stigma in that. So yeah. our challenge is stigma, right? There's stigma for them in mm-hmm. that, oh, suddenly my child is making decisions on my behalf, yes. how does that look to my friends? How do, mm-hmm. how do, I don't like that because I'm losing my independence, but other people know I'm losing my independence now.
1: Right, right, Yeah, that's true, and, very true. Yeah. And you brought up the, the point about what does dementia friendly to me look like? What would that truly look like? And to me, it would look like all the residents have access to their front doors and they can go out their front door And stepping into it, they know they're in a safe environment and they have the ability to walk to a shop, to maybe walk to a restaurant, to walk to uh, get a haircut, you know, to go somewhere that even in their early mild cognitive stages that they're just kind of struggling a little bit, they're going to find their way home because we have landmarks and things that refresh their memory. So we have things that guide them home where they don't even realize they're being guided home. You know, you maybe have a different color front door for them or things that can trigger, you know, ways for them to get back. Uh, and that, awesome. to me, is a dementia friendly. Or where they don't have to worry about getting hit by a car because they cross the street at the wrong time. You know, some of those little things that you and I take for granted, where as dementia advances, vision changes a lot. So you don't know what their vision's gonna be like. And that could be part of the issue as well, too, is they misconstrue shapes or images. And they could walk when they're not supposed to walk and cars that are people aren't paying attention could accidentally hit them. So it would be taking out some of those is be mitigating risks yet still having a lot of freedom for them.
0: That's really impressive. And I know that there's always multiple ways to solve problems Mm -hmm. and I don't, you know we're creating this podcast out of curiosity not right. out of here's the right way right. but I love that thinking and one of the things I've seen in a few places I've been recently mm-hmm. is they uh, the door is painted with some sort of large uh, mural or something that goes around on the wall and through the door so that the door disappears right. their goal. Mm-hmm. and I see the value in that too mm-hmm. uh, so that that people with advanced dementia aren't always trying to get out. Right. And if we had these, these villages or communities or you know whatever they are, where they could leave, how would you see the care staff being able to sort of keep an eye on them? Would you have cameras around? Would you have, I
1: think yes. you have to kind of look at it in a couple ways? I think you're going to have to look at what technology we can use that can further assist. I think you're going to also though, need to have your staff that's going to be part of maybe anybody that's going to ever engage, whether it's your custodial staff needs to be trained in how to work with residents, maybe your staff at the restaurant, maybe your staff at the grocery store, they're going to all have to be indirect caregivers that can either help, you know, kind of mitigate that initial shock if they're all of a sudden in a panic to bring in maybe an additional care team down the, you know, that can get over there. So I think you're going to have to build a more comprehensive Team aspect to where you kind of shift and pass off the oversight as they move throughout the village, the town, the community, whatever it is. So that's why I'm saying you have to have a true team effort to enable those living with dementia to have a true sense of freedom, yet still have the necessary safety oversight.
0: That gave me chills and in a good way. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, in a good way. Um, Just thinking about the idea that. With dementia, we could still have our freedom, we could flow through life, and the care team flows with us. Correct. And I I just absolutely love that idea. So I want to come back to something that you mentioned earlier, which is our first responders and restauranteurs, people in society. There is a stigma out there and some of them are just untrained i don't think our first responders have a stigma but i think they might be untrained in this area so what is your thinking on that
1: i think that we definitely need to have more intensive training with the first responders and especially with your er doctors and ed departments and also then with your um, firefighters police officers uh your paramedics as well too because a lot of times those are the ones that are getting calls hey dad's going bonkers or mom. I can't find mom. I don't know where mom is. Mom walked out the front door, said she was going shopping and her car's still here. You know, those are the ones that deal with that initial problem because those who we trust. And so I think we just need to give them additional tools to be able to de-escalate situations when maybe you're having an aggressive, you know, family member that has dementia, maybe how to redirect somebody that's fixated on this one thing, just giving them better, more tools in their tool bag. And I think it starts with a comprehensive training program for them, just like they get trained on a lot of, a lot of situations.
0: And is that happening today? Do you know?
1: I think there's been discussions. I think some departments have began to do some things again. I don't haven't researched it enough. And maybe before, uh, we have another podcast related to maybe first responders. I'll do some more digging into that and talk to some local departments and see what they are doing for their dementia training. Um, but I really can't say one way or another if it's being done a lot or not done at all.
0: That's great. And that's a great idea for a future podcast would be I to actually have a first responder. Yes. I think that's about.
1: a fantastic idea. So I think Go it's good to get their perspective and see what they're thinking and hopefully they could express some needs that they might have in their departments for understanding this disease better.
0: Agreed. And restauranteurs and, and um, malls and places that we want to take our, mm-hmm. our loved ones. What do you think about that?
1: I think it's fantastic. Cause I think if they know how to just what, someone does when they have dementia, that idea of walking around a lot, maybe if they're a a walkabout type person or that idea that they might touch more things than we're used to seeing somebody touch because they want that tactile feedback, just giving them some things to be aware of that they don't go, Oh my gosh, why are they doing that? So they don't create that, that stigma for that person they're with. So it's really kind of giving them tools to not have, be shocked by what they're seeing.
0: And and maybe be welcoming. So any business that serves hmm. the general public, yeah. potentially, maybe there should be some sort of training or educational component from the HR department for yeah. anyone who's customer facing on how to deal with dementia.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, something that we need to explore because that is something fantastic. Or how about this? How about you have an employee who's maybe in their late 60s, early 70s, who's showing signs of mild Uh, cognitive impairment. How do you handle that person without making them feel like a stigma? So that's another one we definitely need to challenge on is because HR departments could become to be a huge impact on both the consumer aspect of it, but maybe their own employees that are aging as well too.
0: Good point, good point. Lots to talk about Lots to
1: talk about, lots to talk about, yes.
0: Well Francis, I, that's really interesting and th- these are some really good things to be thinking about as we challenge the way we think about aging. Yes. So what would you wanna leave the audience with
1: today? I think it's when you see someone struggling that's older, don't always assume that they're doing it because they want to. Have a more open mind that they may be doing it because of the, where they are in life think about their station. Their station today could be different than tomorrow. So give them a break. Just don't always go to the negative assumption that it's an intentional whatever it may be. Have a little more positive faith in, in our elderly and give them the respect that they've earned, I believe, and also deserve.
0: That's beautiful and so compassionate. We can always use more compassion, yes. can't we?
1: Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Francis. It's been great interviewing you today. And I'm looking forward to our our coming up podcast because we have some amazing people to interview. We together. do,
1: we do, and thank you as always. Like I said, I'm looking forward to to really diving into challenging some some of the current norms that are out there in aging, because we've got to make some changes in the next few years here because the group aging now is gonna wanna age different. And I think it's yes. important to keep that in mind. Well said. Well said. All uh, right. Thanks, Kathy. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: -bye. Bye. Want to join the challenge? Have a story on how you or your team are fostering ingenuity?
1: Share it with us by visiting mavericksofseniorliving.com. You can find our social media links and ways to connect there, along with more episodes to light your innovation fire.
0: And don't forget to subscribe for more great interviews.
1: Until Until the the next challenge.